It's your Kali. What's up? The following program was brought to you by Yolo Kali. Keeping it weird since 1997. Oh. Who's that? Who are you? You're not allowed to be in here. Hey, yo, somebody get their grandma. Huh? Ah! Now nah, you gotta do it like this. What's Up is back with another two hours of fully youth-produced content, tapping into the matters and concerns of youth in Chicago. As well as all the crazy, wacky, tea-sipping, gossip-spilling, weird shenanigans that we, youth, get up to. Listen to your own risk, because your mind might explode. The chances are low, but never zero. So strap in, and let's get into the show! Hello everyone, welcome to What's Up on WLPN LP Lumpen Radio 105.5 FM Chicago. I'm Eileen and I'm here with Ariandi, Mere, Sofia and Maru. We would like to introduce you all to this week's episode, Stop Cop City. In today's show, we'll be covering the movement against Atlanta's tentative cop city. What is Stop Cop City? Why is it such a big deal? How does it affect us as Chicagoans, youth, people of color? Join us as we give you a rundown of what Stop Cop City is and its numerous effects on many aspects of life. We've got interviews with Jacqueline Eccles of the South River Watershed Alliance, Asia Arnold from Mainline Magazine, and Sam Beard from Block Cop City, and much more. Let's get down to business. We would like to take a moment before we begin to dedicate this episode to Tortuguita, who was an indigenous, queer, and non-binary environmental activist and forest defender who was murdered by Georgia State Police as they were peacefully sitting down with their hands up, protecting the Wilani forest. As this fight continues, so does the life of Tortuguita. We would also like to dedicate this episode to the Palestinians in Gaza and across Palestine under occupation of Israel, who are experiencing genocide and oppression. These two seemingly distant situations are more connected than we can possibly fathom. And in speaking on Cop City, we hope to bring awareness to people that this is an issue that is incumbent on us to care about as human beings. We need love and compassion above all. Um, hi, I'm Mire, and I interviewed Hubbard High School students, night school students and staff, and let's listen to it. Have you heard about Cop City? Where did you hear it about? I have heard of Cop City. I heard about it through the news and social media, especially after the the civil unrest in 2020. I heard about Cop City during night school, but I haven't heard it like anywhere else. I haven't really heard much of it. I barely just thought it like today, like I just learned about it. No, this is my first time. Not really. No, this is my first time hearing about Cop City. Um, just recently. Yes, I've heard of Cop City from school. I've only recently heard of Cop City in class. Well, to be honest, I wasn't too familiar with it, but the the name Cop City definitely left some intrigue. What are your thoughts on Cop City? I think Cop City is a very expensive project when many resources are, are much more needed for things to support the citizens of a town, particularly Atlanta, where things like inflation, um, job insecurity, low wages and housing are a colossal issue. And so I think something like Cop City is a, is a misuse of city finances. I think it's kind of a bad thing. Why are you wasting so much money on something that's not even useful? I, I don't really have an opinion on it because I don't really know much about what's going on. I think it's just bad in general. It's just crazy. 
uh, what they're doing right now. I feel that it's a lot of, I guess, money put into the wrong situation. I don't really have an opinion about it. I just think like it's kind of, the whole situation is really messed up. Well, I don't know all the details, but from what I understand, it's a $90 million training facility in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and I would have to say a $90 million is a lot to spend to train how. You know, my question is, is the same amount of money being used to educate and train young people. I think Cop City is like a training center, I think, and commonly known as the police and fire service training. I think it's a useful program. I think it worked more into our community. I think Cop City would help train police officers better and handle situations with less force. Against it, and I would say I would have to be in support of the protest against it for many different reasons, right? So I militarizing the police is not good for communities, right? Especially not marginalized communities, communities of color. And as a person of color, um, it's actually, it, it brings some sort of trauma to just think that we're not still proceeding, right, to try to correct issues by hypermilitarization of our police force. So um, I wouldn't say I'm completely against um, policing, right? I'm not against policing, but the way that policing is done in a military fashion, it's almost as if we're policing an occupied um, zone, right? Or something to that effect. What are your thoughts on cops in general? In general, I don't think individual police are an issue. I do think that cops as institution, though, is a very flawed system that's that's been deeply based in things like racism and overall oppression of marginalized groups. I think that not all cops are bad, but majority are trying to do better, or trying to just do their jobs on what they think is right. Some cops, like, they're like, okay, I guess, because not most of them, like, harm anyone in any way, but some of them do have the intentions of using their power against the people. I mean, there's good cops, bad cops, but from my personal experience, I wouldn't really say they're all bad. Thoughts of cops in general, I feel like people are right, not all cops are bad, but I feel like a lot of cops, you know, they do, they overdo their part on what they have to do to help us out and help out our community. My thoughts on cops in general, Think, well, they're definitely necessary. I hope that most cops go into the business because they want to help. The unfortunate part that a lot of times in working in schools and overhearing cops talk to each other, sometimes I'm disappointed by the things that I hear and that there are a lot of implicit biases that they take with them um, on their jobs, you know, into their situations. And so I feel very uncomfortable with that. But I do think it's an honorable profession and I do believe there are really great cops out there. Um, but I think there's more training that needs to be done and exploration into people's motives as to why they want to become police officers. I would say I do like them, but like at the same time, I don't, because I feel like if it's not very useful sometimes. I think there's good cops and bad cops, but it all depends on on someone's personal beliefs. Well, to be honest, um, I actually had a disdain for cops growing up, right? Uh, I'm 32 years old now. I feel like I've matured um, during my youth, during my adolescence. I had a couple um, negative interactions with uh, with officers, right? For instance, like officers were known to um, teens to take kids that um, were members of a street organization. It was, just, of course, not the right 
type of uh, it's not the right way of life right but like as teens as adolescents we, um, we all make many mistakes and I remember officers taking some of these teens from communities and taking them to rival communities and like you know that th- there there is no there was no sense of them trying to find a solution it was more just officers pitting rivals against one another for, for their enjoyment right so growing up i think i, I did i wasn't i can't say i was fond of police officers as i've grown up i've kind of um understood that uh, a police force is necessary for there to be some sort of control right some type of security over a community right but i feel that neighborhood policing would be better than a militarized police force does this topic matter to you or your community i think it does because i quite literally i'm a teacher i work for the community um and so i see what happens when finances are deviated to something like criminality and and cops and militarization of cops rather than towards schools especially at a time when the city of chicago is experiencing immense amount of uh migrants coming in who are in dire need of support of housing clothing and shelter compared to that building a 90 million dollar facility for training it doesn't really matter to me personally but i think it should matter to the community just so they know like what's happening yeah a little bit could this ever happen around me or my community it could affect my family as well Yes, uh, anything like this is always about money and taxpayers' dollars. So that normally means that uh, increase of taxes or funding some something that doesn't benefit me in a way that will positively impact me or my community. And normally when it comes to like funding police officers, it kind of go bad for me and my community seeing that I'm a black male, especially uh, a 30-year-old black male. Normally that goes bad for us. It matters to me a lot. Oh, greatly, yes. It doesn't really matter to me in, in this community, but I feel for the people in Atlanta and how they struggle with the the procedure of Cop City. Do you think that Cop City is talked about often enough? I think it is talked about in context of things about criminal justice. I'm sure it's probably talked about more down in Atlanta where it's happening. I think it has less of an effect here in Chicago because of the fact that it's not happening here. And I think there's other ongoing events right now, such as the events happening in the Middle East that that are kind of taking the limelight away from what's going on in Cop City. Do I think it's talked about enough? I don't I don't think so at this point. Maybe it is, because I really don't watch the news or anything. No, because I really just heard about it today. Maybe, but since it's my first time hearing about it, then as of right now, no. No, I don't think so. You know, I, I don't hear about it much here in Chicago. I mean, we've had a parallel situation with a training facility that was going to be built on the west side of Chicago. And I know um, one of the young rappers, Chance the Rapper, he was leading protests and a fight against building that facility instead of reinvesting the money into communities and training young people. I don't think so. If I, if I hadn't heard about it today, I don't think I would have really paid attention to it, right? Out of sight, out of mind. I don't think I've seen or heard enough about it. And I do wish that it was an issue that was um, brought up much more because um, as uh, just knowing a bit of history, I know that in, in uh, El Salvador, um, Nayib Bukele, the president, right? He created this like super prison. And I was kind of like weary upon learning about what was going on in El Salvador because it has kind of like curved violence there that other places would try to replicate that type of that type of measure. It seems that Atlanta is trying to follow suit and not necessarily with a super jail but with like a super scary is because it, it would serve as it would get precedent right for 
other actions, right, o other ideals to spring here in Chicago to rise training center for police force. Eileen, what are your takeaways on my Vox Pop? Um, well, first, firstly, what I thought is I expected those exact answers that no one had heard about what Stop Cop City was. Um, and also, I, I find it interesting how they also agreed at the end that they think it gets zero coverage because I first heard about Stop Cop City here when we started um, deciding to research this and really get into it. So I completely expected those answers that were said. But I found it really interesting. And the part that stood out to me the most was when someone said that um, is that same amount of money being used to educate people? Because I think the education is one of the most important things when it, whenever it comes to issues like this. Um, so I want to extend the question to everyone. Um, what were your guys' takeaways on the Vox Pop? Anything that stood out? It was really interesting to kind of hear the the differences in like who knew or who's heard of uh, Cop City. Uh, I think like a lot of the adult voices that we heard kind of already heard about it or did some research or knew a little bit more of context. Uh, and then some of the younger people that we heard didn't have never heard about it before. Um, and that was just really interesting to me, knowing that, you know, younger generations are on social media and a lot of uh, media shared about Cop City is on social media. So that kind of gives me kind of a thought about um, what what we're exposed to as a generation and what is kept from us. Yeah, the first time I heard about Cop City, I was in high school, I believe. I heard about it through an internship that I was doing, and it was very interesting to hear about it through them because it wasn't through the media or anything like that, and it had to be done through them. And I think that it's just interesting to see how um, all of the people in the Vox Pop included were high school students or people within like the high school um, body, and I thought that it was interesting to see the different uh, responses between the students and then actual adults like Maru mentioned. I think some of the answers are already expected. I don't think that this gets the media coverage that it should, and that's why I think that those people don't get um, the coverage. So why do you guys think it's not being heard about at all? I think it's not being heard about it at all, especially, like, since I interview like, high school students, and, like, me too, I didn't know anything about it. Like how you said, like, I found it, I found out when we were doing this um, show, but, like, I feel like it's not talked about often enough because we're obviously not there. And also, like, our social media, like, my social media has, like, it doesn't really show much about it, but I also feel like it's kind of, like, underground. Like, you're, you, nobody talks about it unless you don't spread awareness on it. You guys know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think an interesting part was where the one of the adults was saying that we've had a similar cop facility that was actually built here, um, but it started, you know, with the no, no Cop Academy movement here in Chicago. And honestly, I feel like if we had asked the similar questions about the No Cop Academy movement and the uh, Stop Cop City, we probably would have had similar responses from y the younger people or just in general because I just feel like 
there is intentional like information suppression and also this belief that young people don't care or don't want to know about their community and what's directly impacting them, which I think is a false narrative. I definitely agree with what Maru is saying. I think that it all comes down to a systemic issue um, playing here. I think that problems that affect uh, black and brown people aren't spoken about as much. And I think that's why we're not hearing about it. I also do think that a lot of it is going back to the systemic issues that happen within the media. I think that those issues specifically aren't talked about because there's bigger things that the media um, focuses on. I also wanted to I also wanted to note that um, yeah, what you, you guys are saying are true that there is a lot of media suppression and a lot of the media that is uh, directed towards people of color and like immigrant communities and people who are like getting affected by these exact problems doesn't really focus like what you guys are saying and is mostly focused on a lot like like I don't know if you guys watch like a lot of like Spanish like like news and stuff they talk a lot about like like oh like celebrities and like media and like this and that and like big like outrageous like 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 news that doesn't really matter like affect us um and it's just sad to see that we don't really get any coverage at all to like um any of these big problems yeah and i i definitely think that they choose to put onto the algorithm what they want us to see and they're just like so perfectly crafted to the person where it's gotten to a point where you have to actively seek out um certain types of news because they're just they're not going to show that to you they like to keep us ignorant about things i think with newer generations it's also harder because um i think most of us don't really actually pay attention to the news it's morally we're getting our news from social media so i think the algorithms like you said eileen definitely depend on the person what kind of information we get and i think that it's all based on that yeah going off of what you're saying i think that general like movement away from commercialized media uh, especially for like gen z or younger generations i think that is because we are witnessing and seeing like suppression unfolding or or realizing that what we've been intaking has always been kind of tainted or or not the whole truth Hey guys, this is Ariandi, and coming up, I got a brief history of Cop City and the Wilani Forest. I did want to know at the end of this audio piece, I accidentally mentioned how a movement against Cop City here in Chicago ultimately led to its closure. This is not true. Cop Academy was unfortunately erected in January of 2023 and is currently still in use. The Muskogee Wilani Forest covers over 3,500 acres in South Atlanta. Close to 48% of Atlanta is covered by a canopy of trees, hence why some people call it a city in a forest. The Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, aka Cop City, is a project that can be tracked back to October 2017. The Atlanta Police Foundation revealed in their Public Safety Action Plan about the need for a training facility with the proposed location being 300 plus acres of the Wilani Forest. In this segment, I will try my best to give a brief history of the Wilani Forest, Cop City, and other projects that have made a measurable impact in the surrounding areas. Welcome to Cop City 101.
Back in the 1800s, the land was stolen from the Muscogee, and all natives were forcefully displaced to Oklahoma, where a large population of that nation still resides. The Muscogee gave the nearby South River the name forest defenders now use, Huilani, which roughly translates to brown water. Between then and 1920, when the site became a prison farm until 1995, the land was assumed to be a plantation that enslaved at least 19 people. At the time, people called it the finest plantation in the county, and later it became the site of a famous Civil War battle. As I said previously, the forest later became a prison farm in the early 1900s. One of the main arguments against Cop City has to do with the Atlanta City Prison Farm. An article from the Atlanta Community Press Collective states, Archival research into the Key Road site reveals that not only was it never run federally, it was run as a city prison farm interrupted from about 1920 to nearly 1990, and doing considerable harm to those it incarcerated throughout, despite claims of reform at every stage. Newspaper articles, letters from nurses, legislative and inspection records, and folk stories tell tales of overcrowding, slave conditions, lack of health care, labor strikes, death, and unmarked paupers' graves. It is difficult to find historical records detailing operations of the farm after 1965, as many records were either missing, destroyed, misfiled, or were never even kept in the first place. Many believe that the city shouldn't lease the land until a deep investigation of the farm is made and reparations are negotiated. Before I get into Stop Cop City, I'd like to briefly talk about the importance of the Wilani Forest and why its preservation is needed now more than ever. In 2017, Wilani Forest is considered one of the city's four major lungs, which means its continuous polluting and demolition can cause severe problems for the well-being of Atlanta. An official report from the Center of Biological Diversity from February 2023 states, The Wilani Forest provides clean air and a contiguous canopy of shaded, protected lands within the heavily developed Beltway. As the world's fourth largest urban area, Atlanta loses more than 50 acres of tree cover per day because of development. Permanent protection of South River Forest as a public park would unite the network of natural, historic, and cultural features in the area. It should also be noted that Cop City is a $64 million project. The demographic around Wilani is 90% black who are low income and face health challenges like asthma. This disinvestment can put nearby residents at further risk and add to the multitude of injustices brought into the black communities of Atlanta. As I stated at the beginning of this segment, Cop City was first being talked about in 2017, but it wasn't until April of 2021 that the first renderings of the proposed training center were unveiled. Later that same year in June, Councilmember Joyce Shepard authorizes the lease of 150 acres of Atlanta to the Atlanta Police Foundation unbeknownst to the neighboring communities. Later in August, the first rumblings against the proposed Cop City begin, and in September, Council votes to authorize the lease ordinance after ignoring 17 hours of public comment. Protests begin around the same time, and the first arrests happen in May of 2022. Protests would continue into 2023, when sadly on January 21st, environmental activist Manuel Tortuguita Teran was fatally shot by Border State Patrol. Autopsy later revealed they were shot 57 times. Tortuguita's death is followed by protests in downtown Atlanta when Governor Brian Kemp mobilizes a National Guard after declaring a state of emergency. Throughout 2023, multiple protests ensue, and many protesters are arrested and charged with acts of terrorism. Opponents later characterize the charges as a scare tactic designed to intimidate demonstrators. In May of 2023, the Atlanta Community Press Collective was the first to report that Atlanta taxpayers will be responsible for paying substantially more to build a training center than city officials previously had stated. 
That leads us to today. The day is November 18, 2023, and one of the largest demonstrations against Cop City was just last weekend. A group of around 400 people were peacefully marching when officers decided to counter them using tear gas and rubber bullets. Coming up next is an interview with one of the organizers by the name of Sam Beard, who would be present that weekend and give us a little bit of insight on their involvement in the movement. Thank you for tuning in to this brief history. My name is Ariandi, leaving you with this message. Although Cop City is states away and mirrors similar projects in Chicago, Cop Academy was a Chicago project also meant to further militarize the police. Over 100 grassroots groups mobilized an opposition campaign called No Cop Academy, and the project was later scrapped. The future of the Wilani Forest rests in our hands. Stop Cop City in Atlanta, stop Cop City everywhere. For demonstrators like Mary Hooks, they too are not backing down. We still have 116,000 uh, petitions that need to be verified and counted. Like, this isn't over. This is so one this of is it. This is the very reason why we say no cop city, because we know that the militarization of the police is going to continue, and today was a perfect uh, example of that kind of police militarization. Thank you for tuning in. We're going to take a short break, and then we'll be back with an interview with Jacqueline Eccles of South River Watershed Alliance and an interview with Sam Beard from Block Cop City. Can't change the world as we change ourselves. Die from the sicknesses if we don't seek the health. All eyes be my witness when I speak was felt. Full house on my hands, the cause I was dealt. Welcome back, and you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. And we're going to listen to an interview of Jacqueline Eccles. I'm here with Jacqueline Eccles of South River Watershed Alliance. Hi, Jacqueline. Nice to meet you. And thank you for being on our show today. Thank you for inviting me. Can you tell us a little bit more about South River Watershed Alliance and your involvement? South River Watershed Alliance is a grassroots environmental organization. It was established in 1999, so it's been around about 23 years or so. My involvement goes back that far. <laughs> you know, from the uh, from the beginning, I've worked on water issues, primarily uh, the South River and its tributaries. I have been, in terms of my involvement, I have been president of the board of directors since 2011, uh, about 13 years. And as a, a grassroots nonprofit, that means that I kind of guide the everyday activities of the group, write grants, do press releases, inquiries, Pretty much all of it, right? We do have a part-time executive director that does all of our social media marketing campaigns because I'm really not good at that kind of stuff. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what the city's plans were for Wilani Forest and the river for Cop City was even set into motion? Sure. As, as I mentioned, you know, uh, the, all of the communities you know along the South River are predominantly Black or people of color. There are only two urban origin rivers in Atlanta, which is just to say that the river starts in Atlanta in an urban environment and not in the mountains and that kind of thing. There are only two in the state. One is the, the South River, the other is the Flint, which is actually in the Chattahoochee watershed. And all of that just means that there are many issues 
that go back decades. And, and they're environmental issues. My mantra is, as the environment goes, so goes the community. So I see the environment as the focus, even before the community. And I think that's pretty obvious around Atlanta. If you want to, to protect your community and the people in it, you, you need to start with protecting the environment. So what's happening at Cop City and, and several other major issues that have kind of consumed our work since 2010, with Cop City being the most recent, it all starts with the community and the environment. Cop City, that piece of land, which was, in terms of tree acreage, about 300 acres of tree forested land, you know, which made it the largest remaining piece of green space inside of the city of Atlanta. So it was a it, it was a really, really big deal. With the construction of Cop City, uh, that consumes, is consuming, it's not built yet, 171 acres. So that is the, the vast majority of that 300 acre site. And there are communities all around. And we're talking major development. We're, we're talking about clear cutting. I mean, literally leveling every tree over an 85 acre parcel. So when you look at it on on a map, you'll see a hundred 171 acre parcel with the footprint of 85 acres of building on that 171 acres. But when you're talking about a police facility, it's not a lot you can do with the other uh, about 90 acres because it's on <laughs> an active, huge, actually the largest in the country. The, the activities related around that 85 acre footprint will totally consume the 175 acres. There's nothing else you can do with the other you know, 90 acres of land. And over time, if it's allowed to go forward, I'm pretty sure the Atlanta Police Foundation will expand even further over that 171-acre site. I mean, it has all kinds of negative impacts. You know, we have uh, heat island impacts. You know, you had the trees and now they're gone. A lot of the area will be concrete. So there's been a lot of runoff from the site that's impacted Entrenchment Creek which runs by the site and the South River. You have health issues associated with bad air and climate change that will occur, you know, if they are allowed to build a facility of that size. You have flooding issues, you know, associated with tree destruction. As I said, sewage issues, combined sewage issues are major. So you end up with water quality issues, whereas the trees and the vegetation that was there would help clean the contamination out of the stormwater runoff from the Development. So, I mean, there are just a variety of environmental and community impacts that will result if this facility is built. In the Title VI civil rights complaint, you mentioned how the construction of this facility violates the three pillars of environmental racism. Can you explain these three pillars and tell us how this facility is in violation of them? And, and that's a really good question, you know, because almost everybody is familiar with environmental justice, the concept of environmental justice. And just need to remember that environmental justice is a goal. There are a lot of urban areas and a lot of people that are impacted by environmental justice issues and being in pursuit of that goal of a safe and healthy environment, right? That's just a goal that everybody should be have a, a right to. Not to say you will, but it's a goal. For environmental racism, though, as you mentioned, there are three pillars, and I'll name them, and then I'll go back and explain them. First is an environmental 
race-based discrimination in environmental policymaking. Number two is enforcement of regulation and laws. And the third one is targeting communities of color for the siting of toxic and polluting industries resulting in disproportionate harm. Those are the three pillars. Those aren't goals. Those are realities. I mean, you can measure those. You can go out and see if that's happened. From a policymaking standpoint, that 171 acres, or really that 300 acres, was designated to become a public park. The name was South River Forest. A lot of people still refer to it as the South River Forest, although a lot of the forest has been leveled. But it was to become a public park. And that was back in 2017, when the the city of Atlanta City Council voted unanimously to include it in the city's long-term planning process for a park space. In, in that document referred to as the South River Forest, the mayor signed it. So in 2017, this is where the, the planning department and the parks department were fully aware and were going to implement it. And then suddenly a decision was made without any outreach to the community anything like that. A decision was made by the mayor, well, was made by Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, who's not the mayor now, and the city council to change all of that. They just unilaterally made the decision that no, it would be given to the Atlanta Police Foundation to build their new Atlanta Police Training Facility, you know, which is also known as Cop City. So that's the policy making. As a policy, it was supposed to be something else. It was voted on, it was law, it was included in the city charter. That's it. The, the second pillar, enforcement of regulation and laws, one of the big issues that we have in court is the impact of this facility or the building of this facility facility on water quality in the South River and Entrenchment Creek. These are regulations that were instituted by the state regulatory agency, Georgia EPD. So once again, you know, these are not things that we were hoping for. There's actually regulations on the book, and we have this issue in court because of that, where the amount of sediment that can enter Entrenchment Creek in the South River is set, and it's already being violated even before any sediment enters the river or the from this site. As I said, that's another issue we have in court. That's the enforcement of existing regulations and laws. And the third one is targeting a community or communities of color for the siting of toxic and polluting industries. And that's exactly what this will be. We have a, a court case that's being heard on Wednesday, November 15th, in federal court, where we are seeking a temporary injunction to halt construction on the site until until the case we file can be heard in court. Because if not, Atlanta and the police foundation will eventually get to the point and they will make the claim that any kind of action is a moot point because they move so far with the construction that it wouldn't make any sense to stop it. And, and as we said before, this community was purposely chosen uh, as an environmental justice community for this toxic and polluting police facility, which will destroy the environment, both water, air, human. It will never be the same. I mean, you can see it differs greatly from this whole notion of a goal of environmental justice. And it's such an important issue because it will determine if Atlanta, the police foundation, has to stop work and give the environment a chance, give the folks who are impacted by this a chance. Speaking to, to responses, has uh, the city of Atlanta or any party, for that matter, responded to the complaint thus far? 
Uh, no, we did get a, a response from EPA that they have received it. I'm sure they have shared it with the city of Atlanta. And, you know, the interesting part is, I mean, we have several lawsuits pending as well in court. But when you have an administrative complaint, you know, it's not a legal challenge. It's an administrative complaint. And you are serving it on the federal agency that's responsible for ensuring ensuring equal protection under the law. And Cop City definitely has an unnecessary punitive almost impact on not only the environment, as, as we talked about, but the, the people who live there who are ill-equipped to fight back. I mean, they are they don't have the money, they don't have the political power, and that's usually the case with environmental justice communities. So, you know, they had no one else to depend on, and the government has a responsibility for addressing these issues. So it was it was really great to have an opportunity to put it back in their lap. Let's see what the government that's supposed to, particularly these days, be concerned <laughs> about, you know, these types of issues. I am just waiting, as we would say, with bated breath to see what response we get from them. I didn't expect anything from the city of Atlanta, although we should. Like I said, Atlanta is a predominantly Black city. It's the legacy of city of Martin Luther King. All of these issues that we are talking about here now are not new. It's just amazing that the mayor and the city council is promoting this. It's unfortunate, it's troubling, and if we can't get any response or responsibility coming out of them, then hopefully we'll get it from EPA and the Department of Justice. I just you know, wanted to say thank you so much for, for your time today. And if you had any final thoughts or words to share, I'm happy to give you some time for that. No, you know, my thing is just stay tuned. I'm always interested in getting the word out and I am particularly interested in making the points that I've made to you for young folks. You know, they're the generation that's coming and, you know, you're in Chicago. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are impacted, you know, by environmental justice issues. And, and it's important that somebody fight back. I mean, I can't, this is kind of the message. You know, we could have gone away and just said, oh, we're just going to focus on the river and not worry about the environment. But, you know, communities don't exist without the environment. And it can be healthy or it can be unhealthy. And, and everybody has a right to a healthy, to the goal of a healthy and, and safe place to, uh, to live. So no, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. I appreciate all your kind words and all of the important, necessary work you and South River Watershed Alliance are doing. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. Let's be in touch. We shall be in touch. <laughs> thank you so much. I learned so much and it was just amazing talking to you and hearing your perspective, what you've experienced, and I will definitely be staying in touch for the, the two lawsuits. Thank you to Jacqueline Eccles of South River Watershed Alliance for giving us that wonderful interview. And thank you to Maro as well. Coming up, we have an interview with Sam Beard of Black Cop City where we talk about the mass action that took place in the Weilani Forest last week from November 10th to November 13th. What's up, everybody? I am here with Sam Beard from Black Cop City. They're currently in Atlanta where day one of the mass mobilization against Cop City has just begun. More information about the mass action can be found at blackcopcity.org slash call to action. So for our first question, can you tell us a little bit about Black Cop City and how it differentiates from other movements and what is your role in the movement? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about Black Cop City and how it differentiates from other movements. So 
The movement to defend the Atlanta forest and stop Cop City has been going strong for about two and a half years now. And over the course of the movement, we've seen uh, a multiplicity of tactics and strategies being activated to try to stop Cop City from being built and defend the Atlanta forest. This is a forest down here in southeast Atlanta. It's the largest contiguous or uninterrupted forest in Atlanta. And um, over the course of this summer, 85 acres of it have been clear-cut in order to build one of the largest police training facilities in the world. And um, over the course of the last two and a half years, tactics from industrial sabotage of equipment at the construction site to protest encampments to tree sets or tree houses that activists live inside of to marches called for and led by preschoolers and their parents and their teachers to various members of uh, various faith communities hosting uh, generative cultural events, marches being led by clergy and faith coalitions like that, um, as well as civic channels of change with um, earlier this June, we saw 16 hours of public comment being directed at the Atlanta City Council against this project, against raising the funding limit for this deeply, deeply unpopular project once again. Uh, and the Atlanta City Council back in June of 2023 uh, voted to move forward with the project. And the very next day, uh, activists announced a referendum push, so trying to get enough petition signatures from the voters of Atlanta in order to get um, the cop city on the ballot. And through a, a, a colossal push, ended up gathering 116,000 petition signatures. And the cities essentially rejected them, saying, mm, we're not going to count those. We don't really care. So in, 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 on September 12th of this year, we announced the Block Cop City Mass Action Convergence happening in Atlanta. Um, so the, the convergence itself begins today, uh, Friday, November 10th, and is going until Monday, November 13th, as well as a couple days of collective healing and, and anti-repression and jail support work and the advent of arrests next week. And this is a little bit different than other protest tactics that have occurred over the course of this movement. Uh, the movement had seen what we were calling, what people were calling weeks of action. And those were protest encampments in the forest with distributed events throughout the Wilani and throughout Atlanta. But this event is a little bit different insofar as it's entirely offsite. Uh, except for the morning of Monday, November 13th, in just a few days, where we will be converging uh, with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, potentially thousands of people, to nonviolently march onto the construction site and shut down ongoing construction operations at the site. And uh, my role in the Block Cop City movement has sort of largely pivoted to um, to outreach, to media outreach, doing interviews, um, being a, a spokesperson for the movement. One of my colleagues, Jamie Peck, um, is another spokesperson for this movement, and, and the both of us had um, traveled extensively across the country, giving speaking tours and presentations about this, which is actually uh, my last one was uh, back home in Chicago um, on October 11th at the Co-Prosperity Sphere. Why is it important that we talk about Cop City outside of Atlanta? So I think it's really important that we talk about Cop City 
outside of Atlanta. You know, one of the first, uh, back in 2021, you know, I was talking about when I first heard about this movement, um, the first pamphlet that I got was this little quarter sheet or something that said, this is not a local struggle in very serious typeface at the top of the page. And I was like, what is this about? It's not a local struggle. What do you mean it's not a local struggle? It's mm-hmm. down there in Atlanta. And they, they really activists from day one said, what this represents is a new paradigm of policing. It's a new paradigm. It's competing visions for the future. That's what that's what the Defend the Atlanta Forest Stop Cop City movement represents. And we've seen over the last months in the tragedy, the unfolding genocide happening in Gaza, where so many activists and so many people from around the country here in America have been trying to figure out how to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people when they feel when they're so far away geographically. And, you know, there's been massive street demonstrations. There's been, you know, for any of the listeners on Instagram, I'm sure your Instagram feed is filled with Palestine solidarity information over and over again. But so many people have been looking for well, what what else can we do? You know, there's got to be more than we can do that, that we can do. And what a lot of the folks down here in Atlanta and the, the Block Cop City Coalition just released a, a Palestine solidarity statement in collaboration with some Palestinian organizers um, that can be found on the website, I believe. And the number one way to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people is to fight against U.S. militarism abroad and back home in a, in a fundamental part of the U.S. colonial, settler colonial militarized machine is the American policing system. And Cop City is the, the poster child for a new paradigm of militarized police governance that countries like Israel and the United States are attempting to usher into the world. You know, they're treating Gaza like a testing ground for a new paradigm of surveillance, where it's a testing ground for different ballistics, different surveillance technologies, different concentration camp technologies. And there's a direct line between the Atlanta Police Department and um, the Israeli occupation forces, where they trade officers back and forth to, to teach one another these tools. So what, really what we're talking about here is this is not just a local struggle. It's not just a national struggle. This is a global existential political struggle. You know, this is like the tip of the spear for eco-abolitionist organizing in this country right now. And we need to win social struggles, right? You know, we're a generation without victories, it feels like sometimes. And winning social struggles matters. And um, that's why people have gone so hard on this, I think. So, like you said, um, today is the first day of the mass mobilization. Um, how are you feeling and how's it going so far? So today's the first day of the mass mobilization. Um, and I'm feeling, you know, it's sort of this calm before the storm. And I guess I'm putting the calm in scare quotes because, you know, uh, we're just mm-hmm. grinding here, you know. Uh, and nothing slowed down a bit. My friend made a joke that no one's allowed to sleep for more than eight hours before or until after Monday. And I was like, no, <laughs> please take care of yourself. Um, I'm a very big proponent of rest. Uh, it's a revolutionary act to take care of the people you care about. And um, this uh, today's the first day of the four-day mobilization. The, all of the events that are occurring uh, are happening off-site and around town, whether they be the, the trainings or the, the legal solidarity trainings or the, the direct action trainings or uh, the spokes council meetings. And those are a sort of horizontal democratic general assembly type space where spokes from all of these various 
um, affinity groups will come and sort of tease out the action plan that's happening on Monday in real time together, collectively face to face so that we can all sort of move together intentionally and know what our community agreements are that we're going to, we're going to hold and we're going to uplift during our time together on Monday. Um, so I'm really looking forward to those large general assemblies or those spokes council meetings. I've never been a part of anything like that before. Um, so that, that, that should be a delight. There's one tomorrow and one. I've never said a three hour meeting should be a delight in my life. So, <laughs> but uh, I think that one will be, I think that one will be great. Um, and then, you know, Monday's the big day. Um, Monday morning, we're meeting off site, marching to the construction site and, uh, we're shutting it down. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. Awesome. So just to wrap it up, uh, what can we expect from Block Up City in the upcoming days, weeks, months, and any groundbreaking news you would like to share? So I think folks could probably expect from Block Up City in the upcoming days and weeks and months, um, a collective sort of, I've been really like thinking of it as a pretty cutting edge form of collective mobilization. Um, collective activation, horizontal democratic decision-making in real time in order to hash out a plan together. So for me, this is actually, the stakes of this uh, are beyond just stopping Cop City, which is obviously why we're all here, but we're also, you know, one thing that we've all known for decades is that we need to drastically scale up our ability to mobilize against the end of the world uh, or toast. And this, to me, feels like a um, a cutting-edge form of collective activation that we can sort of experiment with new ways of mobilizing together. And, and you know, I'm really hoping that this will lead to lasting friendships and relationships and networks and new coordinating committees to roll out against white supremacist projects and ecocidal projects whenever they show their face. And... Um, you know, I, as far as what's next for the Block Cop City Coalition and the Block Cop City movement, um, I'm not 100% sure yet. I think that those will be discussions that will be brought up at this folks council meeting. They know the movement to defend the Atlanta forest is in a novel position right now. Um, it's a big it's a big push in a very difficult time for the movement. So we hope that it will open up new horizons and that it will activate new folks to put their energies and put their passions into this project and into projects around the country. For sure. Thank you so much. Well, um, thank you so much for everything. I hope everything goes well this weekend and I'm, I'm hoping it goes great. I know it's going to go great and hopefully something happens and you guys are able to settle something out. Um, did you want to say any final thoughts before we wrap it up here and anything you'd like to say to the youth? I think if I was going to pass one message along to um, the youth. I think I'm aging out of that category now. I'm 29, but uh, I was that for a while. Um, there's nothing more powerful than moving through this world with the people that you care about, being in contact with our capacities together. And sometimes we don't always know what that looks like and it's a trial and error and we just need to give ourselves grace we need to treat one another as human beings that are capable of growth treat each other with human beings that are, that are capable of forgiving ourselves and forgiving one another um, and if we can do that then we'll be setting ourselves up for success you know the world's becoming an increasingly scary place and um the way that we can win but i believe that we can win you know when we're in the streets and we say i believe that we will win we have to mean that. And I think the way that we can win is by constantly experimenting 
with new ways of moving through the world with one another and by loving and supporting each other. Mm. Thanks for the interview. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Um, again, this has been Ariandi. Again, this is Sam Beer from Black Cup City. And more information of the movement and Max Action can be found on blackcupcity.org. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for those interviews. I, I thought that they were really interesting, and I think that I learned a lot from them. I wonder what else you think about it. Yeah, me too. I can agree. They were like really good interviews, and they were really informative too. It's definitely helped me like more better understand Cop City. Aileen, what do you think about it? Um, I find it, it's, you can really hear the passion in their voices, and I'm not sure if at the end of Sam Beard's um, interview, if he started like tearing up, you can hear the emotion in, in the words that they were saying, and it's just, you can tell how much these people care about this movement. Maru, what about you? Same, yeah. I I think it was really cool to hear from all of the various perspectives that are part of the movement. There are so like we heard there are so many parts and and people that are that are part of this decentralized movement. So it was really great to hear um, from those various perspectives, from the environment to mass actions. Yeah, I think that it's very inspiring to hear about these things. And I think hearing from the people who are actually on the front lines and doing these things, I think that it's very important that we learn specifically from them as we're not physically in Georgia. Yeah, exactly. Like they know firsthand what's going on, have been participating in this longer than we've probably even heard about Cop City. And it's great to take point. Yeah, in the next half hour, we'll be talking with Asia Arnold from Mainline Magazine, and after that, we'll be summarizing everything that we talked about today. Hang on to keep on listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to What's Up on WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio. We just listened to a Vox Pop by Mere, a Stop Cop City 101 audio piece by Ariandi, and an interview with Jacqueline Echoes, Echoes of South River Watershed Alliance. Don't move because we're going to keep on talking about Stop Cop City and it's important to us. Next up, we'll be hearing from Maru. This past week, we were able to talk with Asia Arnold, pronouns she, they, from Mainline Magazine based in Atlanta over a Zoom call. And we gained some insight into the impacts of media in the Stop Cop City movement. We're here with Asia Arnold from the Mainline Magazine based in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome, Asia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Maru. Thank you so much for inviting me to come talk on the show. Um, love being on other programs, too, particularly about this topic. So I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yes, thank you so much. To, so today's episode, as you know, is all about Stop Cop City. And today we'll really be talking about your experiences as a journalist covering this movement, uh, Mainline Magazine, and so much more. So really starting off, how you got started as a journalist and what maybe inspired you? Yeah, thank you. Great question. I like, always knew I wanted to be a, a journalist um, for whatever reason. Um, I had an act for writing and storytelling. 
um, but I wasn't much of a fictionalist. And I found kind of like culture and society, like very interesting as it was and um, interpreting that and translating that. And one of my favorite definitions of journalism um, that I like really adhere to is that, you know, it's our role to um, translate or synthesize or make sense of like the world that we are living in. Um, my experience as a journalist and like at this stage and, you know, the late stage capitalism and the world we're living in right now, there are some things that truthfully, I, I don't ever want to make sense. Um, there are some things that in order for them to make sense to me or to rationalize them, I would have to like dehumanize other people or to believe like false narratives um, that are, you know, spawned and perpetuated by corporatized media. Um, so that kind of brings me to like the present moment of um, the work that I do um, with, you know, there's a movement of journalists, um, you know, today that I would call like, you know, the new world media, um, or like, you know, there's like an old establishment of journalism that, you know, uh, is cultivated from white supremacy, settler colonialism, a lot of harms caused to like black and brown folks, indigenous people, other marginalized groups. There's a whole movement of us um, out there just to like reassure listeners that there, that might be a little disillusioned about and jaded about media at this time. There is an entire movement of journalists called movement journalists that are working day in, day out um, as they live and breathe and write to combat the problems that the errors in our industry that have brought us here. So, you know, Mainline in Atlanta is a magazine that um, I founded and have collaborated with other Atlanta creators and authors and artists. Um, which is mainline is really a response to the journalism crisis and local journalism collapse that happened as it was happening in Atlanta. Um, mainline was launched in 2019. Um, I was working at an alternative publication here called Creative Loafing, which was an alternative media staple in Atlanta. Um, and it was a bit of a sinking ship when a sinking ship when I, you know, jumped in um, as a music journalism intern. I started out with music journalism, but I've always been pretty activated um, in my work, just like growing up as far as like human rights and social justice issues. Um, and I studied sociology in school as well at Georgia State, where I earned my degree. Um, so yeah, that's just a little background on me and how I roll um, in this world and in this industry, which can be like really hard. But um but the work really is important. Um, I've quit journalism probably 20 times um, and I keep coming back because there's we have a lot of work to do. Why you think um, it's important for more media organizations, more um, journalists to center abolition within their work? Abolitionist media. And I, you know, I regret that there's like so much stigma attached to this word. Um, because it's been criminalized in the indictment, which is why I brought it up. They In the indictment, they specifically call out the terms mutual aid, solidarity, and abolition and anarchy. Um, <clears throat> so now we have kind of this like, it's to create this atmosphere of fear in all of us, um, including journalists that are doing like very strong um, work and creating really strong coverage that are speaking directly to this moment. The reason why these things are happening, it's, um, 
it's all to do what? It's to uphold the systems as we know them, which is, you know, multi-billion dollar industries of mass incarceration and policing funded by and the criminal punishment system, you know, otherwise known as a criminal justice system. But we say criminal punishment because there's no justice. <clears throat> um, so why do I think it's important? Um, it's kind of the basics that I heard in journal, like it's important to tell the truth. Um, abolition has been a journey for me. Me and mine did not begin as an abolitionist outlet. We began as like, like an alternative independent press. And then we have evolved with our movement um, and, and our own internal revolution as a newsroom and a group of people. And our ideology has continued to be, you know, informed and educated by people that came before us, specifically like, you know, authors like Miriam Kaba and a movement of black journalists at a group called Media 2070, who developed the plan for media reparations and mainline is like really proud to say that we are a part of that. Like it's not, um, they just called in journalists all over the US following the police murder of George Floyd to read an essay that they wrote that outlines the history of harms that media has caused to black people in particular in the US in great detail. And then they offer a solution of like what journalists and media creators can do now to create another world that they envision in 50 years, so in 2070, would look like and that includes like a lot of things so we've incorporated their concepts into our style guide we've incorporated it into our business models we've incorporated it into like our visions for the future how are we going to address inequities um how are we going to have more non-white people in decision-making roles how are we going to have non-men <laughs> in decision-making roles in media so that we can start to create a reality that we want to live in i wanted to ask a bit about um how you've seen like and and what discrepancies you've seen um between how stop cop city has you know been reported in atlanta and beyond yeah um the discrepancies in the coverage about cop city you know i just um i think it's really great to kind of start in the beginning um the beginning, quote unquote, being like when um, the ordinance to pass the lease for the lease agreement between the Atlanta Police Foundation and the city of Atlanta was introduced on the city council floor, um, which was in June of 2021. Um, Cop City was planned before that. Just that's why I say like kind of beginning air quotes, but let's just for the sake of like storytelling, like that was, you know, when Mainline um, broke that story, um, when we say like we broke the cop city story, it was at that moment when it was introduced on the council floor. Um, I mean, just like the the environment, like the discrepancy, like number one was it wasn't being talked about at all anywhere else. Like Mainline was alone. Um in producing consistent and critical coverage of the facility. Um, organizers in the city mobilized, you know, with great, you know, skill and 
very quickly. It all happened very, very fast. We're talking about like a $90 million police training facility for 381 acres of forested land in Wilani Forest, also known as South River Forest, in a low-income, predominantly Black neighborhood in South Atlanta that resides in DeKalb County, which is not even in city of Atlanta limits. And the reason for these like borders and like whatever, it like goes back to slavery um, and an old like, you know, prison that was on this land before, like a labor prison. Um, but the land was like sold in a land deal, you know? So we're talking, we go all the way back to the forced like removal of Muscogee Creek indigenous people of the land. Um, and then it was sold in a land deal. And then uh, that was used in a prison and came under the city of Atlanta. Um, these are all everything that I just mentioned would never make it into any article or discussion about Cop City outside of Mainline at that time. Um, and there was a lot of work happening between like organizers in the city and then like some of those people were volunteering at Mainline, like Mainline Pente up because there was a team of volunteers still working at Mainline. Like, you know, Mainline is very small. We're not a full funded, you know, magazine. And like, so we depended on volunteerism for our coverage. So people just out of labor love were producing like the only quality journalism in the city about this issue that was going to impact everybody. And all those things that I mentioned would never be, um, you know, discussed in an article about Cop City. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is our legacy paper here, and it is owned by Cox Enterprises. And the Cox family is one of the wealthiest uh, families in the country. They've also made their money off of the backs of Atlanta media workers and producing a lot of harms. Um, to Black communities in particular in Atlanta. Um, Cox Enterprises, the parent company of AJC, the CEO was the chairperson of the fundraiser arm for Cop City. So there was like this direct, this is just one of the big yikes factors, yikes factors about all of this. But, you know, that person, Alex Taylor, was like the chair of the fundraiser for Cop City. And he's the CEO of the parent company of the largest newspaper daily paper in Atlanta. Um, so they would not, they weren't covering, first, they weren't covering it at all. Um, second, there would be just like announcements that it was happening, that like Cop City was happening. Um, they would never refer to it as Cop City at first until like it became so like widely known as Cop City that they almost had to, but they would always call it the Atlanta Police or the Atlanta Public Training Safety Center, but the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Um, like what a mouthful of that. <laughs> they would always call it that. And, it, you know, I just remember like there being two mentions of it in the kind of, in the, you know, during this whole time of the it being introduced on the floor and then um, to it actually like being passed or like in the first vote, there were two votes. Um, the first one was in August of that year. 
Um, I remember there being like two write-ups, but it wasn't anything critical or even informative. It was almost just like an announcement and it felt like it was almost like a PR extension of the Atlanta Police Foundation. Um, Hardly ever would there be a disclosure of this connection that I mentioned between the CEO of Cox Enterprises and the fundraising for APS to build the facility. Um, And anytime they would be called out for that, they would quietly add it in. But keep in mind, like AJC also prints a lot of papers. They're like one, they're, they're like one of the few like major print left and they have a huge circulation that goes outside of city of Atlanta. So, you know, these quiet like introductions of this like disclosure or this disclaimer, you know, it wouldn't be out up in the open, you know, and then there was one very, very terrible editorial piece that was written in late August after or sometime in August of 2021 after the city council had voted to table the decision on cop city. And one thing that I really want listeners to understand is like, you know, we've seen mobilization against facilities like this before. I believe even in Chicago, you all resisted a uh, some sort of police training facility. Um, and actually that handbook from that campaign was like, we, we look, we referred to that for help, like as like organizers and like people covering it um, to understand what we were dealing with. Um, but I believe in Chicago they, that there was a lot more time, um, and we're talking about like June 2021 to September 2021 when it was actually passed for this like supposedly democratic channel. Um, and sorry to go off on a tangent, but the disc- to, to answer your point, the discrepancy, like I'm focusing on AJC so much because they dominate so much and they were like, it was like creating like coverage and then media company that had no money, um, people who were burned out from the pandemic and from the 2020 uprisings and all the repression from that, it was like swimming upstream against a mountain. Um, And it just created so much of a struggle that if we had sufficient, sustained, well-funded resource media in our community, we wouldn't have had that much of a struggle. Um, They but they published in that month a very bad editorial that I can send you a link to, to review it, that pulled out all the stops, the fear stoking, the crime wave narrative, the urgency, like we need this facility now. There was so much of a pressure to pass the facility now. There were internal memos from APF about, they lobbied and they lobbied the city council people that all these things that I'm saying are in like mainline's reporting and have since been reported on the, you know, from like the Atlanta Community Press Collective, which started later that year, and um, the South Cop City and Defend the Atlanta Forest, like their pages, you know, we're saying all these things that they're not being, they're not what's like the public information. We're still combating that. And I think that's the biggest discrepancy is a big major lack of resources that has created like this huge disconnect in communities of Atlanta, where some people still don't know that cop city is happening or what it is. But we are growing in numbers where more people are becoming aware. There are so many, so many like different ways that media outlets are trying to portray different movements, um, different 
you know, like what's going on in Palestine, people are trying to portray it as as a war, and it's really a genocide against Palestinian people. Um, and and really, I think, again, like how, how we said, having so many different voices telling, barraging you with different information, some, you know, being disparaging, some being violent. And I wanted to ask if you had any um kind of like tips or ideas on how people can protect themselves from from disinformation and, and misinformation. Yeah, I think first and foremost, like trust um, organizers around you. Um, you know, for, for, you know, I've received backlash um, for my reporting and commentary and regarding Palestine, but I, I received that was the other thing I was going to mention. I forgot was the backlash that um, and disbelief that I received when I was originally reporting on Cop City. And like I said, I was like before we started recording, I was telling you that I'm grateful to like speak about this issue and be invited to talk about it because like in the summer of 2020, summer and fall of 2021, I would be calling people and writing emails begging people to talk about this and to read my email or to just like look at our reporting and like see, you know, um, and that is, um, yeah, that was like part of the struggle. And I think that that's similar for like Israel, Palestine as well. Um, but like I received backlash then for questioning like police and not being this, it's like people want independent media, but it's like one independent media is like true to its values. They're like, Oh, like, <laughs> like, um, I'm not going to give you money. That's usually the thing they withdraw first is money. Um, and that's a separate conversation and a problem. Um, but like, you know, um, one thing I wanted to say to people when it was coming again, um, we're an outlet that has like earned your trust. Like we were right about cop city. <laughs> like we were right about that, like as an outlet, but also as like stewards of a movement, like, you know, cause that's one thing is like, we're a channel of like work that organizers are doing on the ground. All we're doing is like lifting them up, you know? And if it weren't for the work that like organizers and folks like at mainline in those like very beginning days, like the narrative around Cop City wouldn't be what it is right now. Like the the narrative about Cop City largely is um, it's bad, <laughs> like almost universally, and that's because of the narrative power that was set by organizers, and then like the framework we had at Mainline to steward that narrative and build that narrative power. So what I would tell the people and being like, when it comes to misinformation right now, is like, if you're in a community that has sources like that, instead of like brushing them off and like be curious and being judgmental, like I would like invite someone to be curious about what, you know, if you follow like black and brown organizers and they are saying free Palestine, and you have a feeling about that, instead of like brushing them off, I would encourage people to be curious, be like, wait, why do I not believe them? Right? And then like, and then asking those people, like, what are the sources that you follow? 
and they are saying free Palestine and you have a feeling about that instead of like brushing them off, I would encourage people to be curious, be like, wait, why do I not believe them? Right. And then like, and then asking those people, like, what are the sources that you follow? Um, for myth and disinformation out there, I think to me, it screams pretty loud. Like I also like ask people, like, does it feel true to you? Does it feel true that like, you know, this, that, and the other, I'm not going to like insert anything, but cause it's, um, but like, does it feel true what you're reading? Um, and also like one thing that's important to remember about disinformation is that its goal isn't ultimately to like feed you ideas to necessarily believe it's to have you questioning everything you see so that like you won't absorb the reality like the purpose of mis and disinformation campaigns in part is to like almost gaslight someone into a paralysis from information that they don't know what to believe even though the truth is so it's like so in our faces right now and you know with cop city they've raised like you know, dozens of acres in the forest. Um, there's a genocide happening in Palestine. Like very, these things are happening like very openly. Um, so that would be like just some like encouragement and kind of like tips around mis and disinformation and um, listen to the people who are living these experiences because like, why do they, what incentive do they have to lie? I was wondering if you can give some tips to independent journalists or really anyone, um, any of our listeners that are hoping to uplift the Stop Cop City movement on, you know, whether it's on their own or on their own outlets. Given like the climate that we're in, I just want to say to everyone, like, don't give up. Like we need you like as a, collective, not just about like cop city, but like for humanity, <laughs> like um, a lot's being uncovered right now. Um, but these are things that have been going on for a long time and they're just coming into like public view. And I just want to like ask everyone to kind of like hold on tight. Um, and if you don't have like the capacity to like consider action steps, like I just, ask people like stay alive and stay tuned with us and then like when that capacity to like be in action comes like you know movements are ready to receive that you know um and then like sharing is so important um sharing put like you might not feel like it's really important um on Instagram, but especially with like the algorithms and the censorship. And until like there's a mobilization off these apps, um, <laughs> you know, just putting that out there, we have to kind of deal with tricking algorithms that are inherently racist. And so sharing, uh, bookmarking posts um, says to the algorithm, this is really important, like sharing it. And then like sharing like word of mouth, like having conversations with people, um, don't stop talking about like whether it's Congo, Palestine, Cop City, or something happening in your hometown. Like I would just like encourage people to not stop talking about whatever's pressing them, um, to not be apathetic. Like we need like 
more and more voices coming together. And then if you have financial resources, like, you know, independent media needs that help very much. Um, so like every dollar counts when giving to like independent media um, that's struggling. And also if there are questions, like don't be afraid to ask, you know, a question um, and dig into like, and like stay open to new possibilities and ideas. Thank you so much. I, you know, if there's anything else that you would you'd like to say before we wrap up today, I, I just want to thank you so much for your time. I just have like a lot of gratitude for like being heard, just like I think everyone wants to be. And um, I just hope that the conversation was helpful um, for anybody listening. Is there anything you guys want to say about the interview we just listened to? Um, it's always just great hearing how much everyone knows about their the, just the topic that they completely focus on. Yeah, I just want to piggyback on that and say that I think that it's very important to hear from these people, like I mentioned before, um, that we hear from the people that are directly out there doing this work. I just wanted to say how cool it is to like um, to get an interview from somebody who works in the media. Um, especially when there's a lot of media suppression on the um, on the event. So that was cool to listen to. And we're going to be breaking down the conversation on everything we heard, and we'll be right back after this short break. Let the world turn. Let the world turn around. On a wild trip. On a wild trip around. Welcome back. We've heard from people who barely know about Cop City to those who know a great deal. We also got a rundown on the history of the Weilani Forest and Cop City overall, thanks to Ariandi. And we got to hear great interviews from activists Jacqueline Eccles, Sam Beard, and Asia Arnolds, who are doing their due diligence of educating people on the importance of a movement like Stop Cop City. In this next segment, we'll be talking about what exactly is Cop City. We just listened to a whole episode about Cop City. So let's break it down. What is Cop City? Cop City is the name of the Atlanta Police Training Academy. Cop City specifically is the name given to it by this movement that recognizes that this facility should not and will not be built. Where is it taking place? It's taking place in Georgia, specifically near Atlanta in DeKalb County. So if you're not sure yet, DeKalb County is just outside of Atlanta jurisdiction. So that means that the city council and everything that impacts DeKalb County is outside of Atlanta, if that makes sense. And Black Cop City specifically is a action that has been going on to in-person mass mobilize against the proposed f- police facility. All of that being said, we can we can ask each other, when did it start? In 2017, the Wilani Forest was considered one of the four major lungs of Atlanta, and the city council voted to turn the area into a public park. But sadly, that same year, the Atlanta Police Foundation revealed in their public safety action plan about the need for a training facility with a proposed location being 300 plus acres of the Wilani Forest. In 2021, a lease was signed unbeknownst to the community by the council, and protests ensued for the next years to make a stand against the proposed facility. 
Tortuguita is then murdered by police during a peaceful protest on January 18, 2023, yet construction began that same year. Tour across the nation... A tour across the nation began to spread the word to Block Cop, Block Cop City this year and to spread the word about the mass mobilization happening November 10th to the 13th. The mass, the mass mobilization was led by Block Cop City, and on Monday, a peaceful march onto the construction site was met with vicious attacks from the Atlanta Police Department. Tear gas and rubber bullets were directed at the crowd. This is affecting various people. It's affecting people from the Walani Forest and the People's Park. There's also a lot of people being affected in its proximity, specifically the black and brown communities that make up. Black and other people of color make up 76% of the population residing in South and Southeast Atlanta area and comprise most residents that live closest to the facility. This is also affecting U.S. citizens. This facility sets a precedent for the country on how policing will look in our country. It's also affecting Palestinians from the Gili Pack, um, which is the Georgia International Law Enforcement Exchange which gives international training between APD and Israeli police. They share tactics and techniques of policing, crowd control, and surveillance. It also affects people in El Salvador and across Latin America. There's people from Atlanta being sent to El Salvador to train police. President Bukele's hardline policy on gangs is tied to this and creates a mass, and it goes back to the giant prison that was created with the rolling arrests happening. Why is Cop City being made? This is a question that continues to be asked across the movement. Supporters have said the 85-acre and 90-million facility would replace inadequate training facilities and help the police department recruit and retain police officers. But the movement has been stating otherwise and proven as well. Who's benefiting from the construction of Cop City? Well, first off, the police department and the politicians who voted on it. The Cop City has been supported by the Atlanta City Council on multiple occasions, from agreeing to the budget for it to continuous like in, like per, to continuous ignorance of the thousands of people that have been asking for this facility to not be built arguments in favor of cop city are really based on the need to train police as they say they go as far to say that it'll be used as a recruiting tool for police that was said by Dustin Hillis the chair of the Public Safety Committee. He also stated that there were multiple chances for the public to speak, and he has never heard or been to a neighborhood that said they didn't want the facility. This is also echoed by Michael Julian Bond, who is also on the Atlanta City Council, who says that it's being made to provide the best-in-class facilities for their employees, which he says is a duty and obligation. And when asked if he feels he has the obligation, the same obligation to his communities and has listened to them, he stated, yes, that he feels he's done that. He's a citywide rep and moves across the city. So, of course, he has heard that his constituents are in favor of this. But 
the hours and hours of public comments, the hundreds of actions in Atlanta and across the country and around the world have proven otherwise. Further divests money from other violence preventative resources does not address the current problem of police violence, and more policing does not equate to more safety. Not to mention the massive deforestation of the forest will lead to flash flooding as trees, grass, and the natural environment are natural irrigators. Any time that uh, trees are cut down and grass is cut down, it leads to flash flooding as the rain is only hitting the dirt and the roots aren't taking in the water. Another thing that can be said of why it's harmful is that the area around the Wilani Forest is also a 90% black and low income and, and are at risk to health risk like asthma. The deforestation of the Wilani Forest can put these residents at further risks. So what's being done about this? What's being done about Cop City? Well, Stop Cop City is a large decentralized movement that sprawls past Atlanta, past DeKalb County, to across the country and across the world. There has been, as we heard earlier, a countrywide tour, speaking tour about the movement, trying to educate communities across the country about what is happening in Atlanta. As activists recognize that Cop City will not only affect Atlantans or residents of the Cobb County. Cobb City is going to affect everyone and cities across the country because Cobb City isn't just in Atlanta. As we heard earlier as well, Chicago has had their own version of Cobb City. And just like in Atlanta, we've fought it here. And even, as we heard earlier, the playbook for the Stop Cop City movement was really inspired by No Cop Academy. So this is not just an Atlanta issue. This is not just a Chicago issue. This is a countrywide issue as we hear more and more of new cop cities being proposed in cities across the country. Block Cop City is a mass action we heard from November 10th through the 13th that was peacefully, nonviolently protesting to stop construction. They had gone with trees to plant. There were families, babies, people of all ages going to peacefully protest and march on the construction site. And they were met with violence. What also is being done about it is that there's also a politic class at my school at Hubbard where they talk about problems like these not only stop Cup City, but what's going on around the world and how they can do to better help or make a difference and to spread more awareness. For example, in my Vox Pop, a lot of students were just were just learning about Cop City, and I took the advantage to interview them. And that goes to show that there's not really a lot of awareness out there on Cop City or anything at all that's going around because not a lot of information is being given out to a lot of people or the algorithms aren't really um, showing that, but yeah. And as we heard earlier from Jacqueline Eccles from the South River Watershed Alliance, there has been a formal civil rights complaint against the city of Atlanta for 
what Jacqueline called three pillars of environmental racism that has been exhibited by the proposal of this facility, including endangering locals with the very possible environmental harms that will happen, with and which also includes cho- the choosing of this facility, specifically being to harm black people and people of color a- across the communities. There has also even been local movements, um, including here in our very own co- <laughs> co-prosperity gallery, uh, which hosted one of the stops for the st- Stop Cop City movement tour, speaking tour, as well as teach-ins at Northwestern and with community organizations across the city. So as as we said before, it's not just an Atlanta issue, and there are so many various ways to get involved just here in Chicago. As well as that, we heard earlier from Asia Arnold, who spoke about independent media being one of the only media establishments actually talking about the facts behind Cop City, the movement behind Cop City and behind Stop Cop City and why people are fighting for this. Now that we've summarized everything that that we've learned about Stop Cop City and the Block Cop City movements, I'd like to offer us a moment of reflection here in the room. And I'd like to ask everyone about how they feel. And I'd want everyone to take in their emotions into consideration. And um, I want to know about your feelings towards um, how the city of Atlanta is handling this and what emotions it's giving you in specific. And we can start off with Eileen. Uh, One of the first emotions that rose up for me was just sadness for the forests because it seems like every day they're finding another reason to just chop down a big Greenland area. And in one of the interviews, um, I believe it was with Jacqueline Eccles, she had mentioned how if you take away the environment, the mental health is just going to decrease. Um, And there's just so much that forests provide to this earth and not only to the earth, to the people living on it. And so it's just, it brings me a lot of sadness that they're taking such a big Greenland in Atlanta, one of the only big ones left, and they're just going to turn it into complete concrete. Yeah, I definitely agree. What about you, Maru? I agree with what Eileen said. It's horrifying to to know that, especially after hearing from Jacqueline that, and the civil rights lawsuit uh, complaint, that this wasn't by accident. This wasn't just, oh, we needed a spot and this was the perfect fit. It's, this is a spot that mainly black and people of color go to and can access. And it's near black and brown communities. And that's what makes it more evident that, and what angers me is that it's so evident and blatant that these actions are to cause harm, are to cause trauma even more so to communities of color and are and they're very blatant in their actions and in not trying to hide it and as well as trying to um, basically excuse this this facility as a way to to train police um, yeah what do you think matter I feel like for me it's 
I don't know, like, it makes me really upset that not a lot of people are doing much to stop it. And if they are, they're not being heard. And I feel like, like, I agree with with everyone that has talked so far because as, like, when I was listening about it, it made me, like, upset and angry because when there's always protests or when we talk about stuff that's happening, like, nothing gets done or nothing gets done enough and it just gives me anxiety to like know what's going to happen next or see what's going to happen next and I really feel for people who are over there who are struggling with this and how they can't really do much about it and if they do it's not enough you know Ariandi what do you feel about this um I feel very um I feel very sad obviously um you know the people have died and people are continuing to struggle for this and it's just like why can't we just you know like why does it have to keep going like why why does it have to be there why do we have to affect all of these people but what made me really upset was like just the well not upset because i feel like i can't blame anybody for um the miseducation of like um people around this like just around the world because it's like a lot of media suppression um, you know, and pe- you can't really blame people who are working class and especially like younger people who, you know, go to school and they're busy with like a ton of stuff and their 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 algorithm isn't really made to like to like give them the news that that is currently going on in the world. But it just makes me upset that like there's so much media suppression and like that this big thing is happening so close to home. Like here in Chicago, we had the Cop Academy. And I feel like maybe we could have done something if people knew about it, like just more people knew about it. But because it's funded by like so many corporations and stuff like that, it's like, it's just a big, like, it's just, I feel sometimes, sometimes it feels like we can't, we can't do anything about it. Like just because there's so much money and we don't have any of it. You know, we don't we don't control we don't control the money and it's just very sad and very like just very hard to think about. But it is inspiring to see all these people still still um, you know, trying trying to trying to go against it and and are I wanna think succeeding and we're even us were able to educate ourselves and that's a big like privilege I feel. Um, we're able to educate ourselves and spread the word and I think that's awesome. Yeah, I definitely want to affirm all the feelings that are um, that we're all feeling. I think that I share the same sentiments. I think that it's okay to feel the sadness, frustration, and even anger. I think that these are big things that are happening all across the uh, nation, and they're happening internationally. Um, but now I'd like to ask about what are your feelings about the police, and we can go around as well. Um. Well, my feelings about police in general, like my Vox Pop said, like, I don't hate them, but I don't love them. You know, I feel like there's a lot of improvement that can be done, but it's also they also left a bad image of themselves by not, like, specifically all cops are bad, but, you know, some of them really do use the power that they have to harm people that really, that they don't really need to harm. And I also feel like um, they're not... Not that they're not using, like, their knowledge well, but they also need to be mindful on, like, what impression they leave on people because, like, some people are really scared of them and some people really love them. And I feel like they should kind of work on that or at least um, have a better impression. But, yeah, what? how do you guys feel about cops? 
Um, I don't have any particular opinion about them, but I do think that rather than focusing on building a whole cop city to train them physically, we need to focus on training them mentally and just educating them on how to like de-escalate a situation. Um, because I don't know, I'm just like constantly hearing from peers of how it's they're just met with a lot of aggression instead of um, knowing how to really settle specific kinds of people down. So I just think that they could use this, you know, focus on just like educating them more on um, how to de-escalate situations and things like that instead of focusing so much on physically training them to prepare them for like battle or something. Um, I well, I feel like ever since growing up, I've always had like a negative connotation with the police, um, just because uh, my I've had family who like went to jail and like I was always surrounded by them and like just because you know stuff like that. But it's just like very hard to like talk up against the police because so many people like are indifferent, you know. Like, and when you bring it up, it's like they don't really care, and it's like um, because they've never really been affected by it, you know. So it's just hard to talk about, but. Um, I feel like no matter what, I feel like the police aren't really, like, no matter what, like, even if you think there's a good cop, if you think there's a bad cop, just the idea of, like, the police, like, they have to take control over people. Like, just that concept is just, like, people are going to feel a sense of entitlement, you know, and that's bad no matter what. So I've always, I've always felt that, like, police, like, they, they know they have power and um, it's just bad. I agree with you that um, when people are given just an ounce of of power, whether that's whether that's as a police, as a you know city council member, um, there is not you know a, a a checking system that's you know always going to keep them uh, how do you say uh, accountable. And yeah, that should be the city. That should be, <clears throat> you know, the police department itself. But we've been—it's been proven time and time again that that's not happening. And at this point, feels like it's not possible because there's, there's, accountability just isn't, you know, like, part of policing. It—I mean, in some aspects it is, some aspects it's not. Um, but overall, when it's police violence against peaceful protesters um, and we see a RICO indictment on 61 people in Atlanta who were peacefully protesting or even had nothing to do with the action and just got caught in it. We, we see the violence firsthand um, of what policing does to people. It's, I mean, it's actively fighting against peaceful protesters. It's murdering people, peacefully protesting against the total, I mean, obliteration of a, of a forest that is basically a lung in Atlanta. Um, and even here in Chicago in 2020, we had protests that turned violent extremely fast because of the police. And it's like at any moment when people actually try to hold police accountable, try to ask for funding for basic community resources, it's always a no. And I think that that is intentional, intentional because people know that what what the power would be if the police budget was given to the people. I mean, the police budget in Chicago was raised from how many billions to 
another like more billions like 1.99 now i think in chicago from 1.9 um and that's after all of the protests that we ex- experienced in 2020 so it's very obvious that what they're trying to do is continue to oppress the people i mean the the bad will always outweigh the good especially because the police was created as what many people don't know as like as slave catchers like they that's the origins of police and i think the more and more that we have these conversations and actually uncover the history we will see and start to understand how we have criminalized and dehumanized each other as human beings and continue to do so by seeing each other as criminals or by seeing each other as violent when fighting for basic rights. I mean, yeah. I share various sentiments, uh, as many of uh, you here. Like Ariandi, I think that my personal experiences with cops have led me to believe certain things about them and have negative connotations about them. Um, nonetheless, next up, we'll be hearing thoughts on Stop Cop City from a couple of students from Northwestern University, where I attended a Stop Cop City teach-in. Um, yeah. Cop City matters because it represents and is part of a massive system of big corporations encroaching on and hurting black populations in America through the police. And it's emblematic of and model for the future oppression that we're trying to avoid. Cop City matters to me because I see it as an example of just the further militarization of our police in the United States and further emphasis on policing rather than community care and just as well as an example of how institutions in our government invade underprivileged neighborhoods to build their own sort of things that are actually going to be harmful to those neighborhoods under the guise of, oh, this is good for the community. And so I think it's something that, although it's happening in Atlanta, it does affect us all because it's not just Atlanta police who will train there. And it's also an example of something that could happen in other places. So I think it's really important that we all care about these sorts of things. Cop City matters to me because <laughs> I hate to be that like climate activist person, but like our world really is burning. Like we need to be keeping fossil fuels in the ground. We need to not be building hostile infrastructure. Uh, we need to not be cutting down trees. And also the carceral state is building up around the country. We were protesting in the streets by the thousands, by the millions, saying that we don't support police. Like they're not good for us. Like the carceral state is not good for us. Like dumping us in prisons is not good for us. Cop City is just like a slap in the face. Like they said, oh, actually we're gonna build this police training facility to be able to arrest more black people, to be able to suppress protests, to be able to suppress people's movements and we're also going to cut down a forest to do it oh and we're also going to do it in a predominantly black community oh and we're also going to ignore 17 hours of public comments and 116,000 signatures and show how fake our democracy is so it's really just like a microcosm for like so many issues that i care about and it's really scary in that sense that it's so like interconnected in the harm that it's causing but i guess it's also hopeful in a way that like it just reminds us how interconnected harm is and how interconnected our struggles for liberation can be because like a win against cop city is a win for so many issues for so many people for so many struggles so it's frustrating but it's also really exciting in that sense 
I think it's really important to recognize the actions being taken by organizers, not just in Atlanta, but around the country and around the world to stop the construction of this facility. This is not just an issue with policing and surveillance, but also a deep environmental and ecological justice movement. And it's really important to recognize the overlaps of these movements and how we can continue to support the forest defenders in Atlanta, even from thousands of miles away. It's important to recognize that oppression in one system is oppression in all systems. All of our fights are interconnected, and in order to achieve liberation for all of us, we have to build solidarity among movements, and that involves recognizing the connections between Palestinian liberation and the connections with what is happening in Atlanta right now. All of these fights are interconnected, and it's so important that we continue to support each other because injustice in one place is an area where we can work for justice in all places. Again, we would like to dedicate this episode to Tortuguita. We also dedicate this episode to Palestinian people facing violence and oppression and genocide under the Israeli occupation. They are connected, and freedom is not real until we are all free. And with that, we conclude this episode of What's Up, where we discussed what Stop Cop City movement is, its militarization of the police, its effect on the environment, and why it's so important for us to speak on it, even if we're not from Atlanta. We had the pleasure to interview Jacqueline Eccles of South River Watershed Alliance, Sam Beard of Block Cop City, Asia Arnold of Mainline Magazine, and students of Hubbard and Northwestern University. That's all from us. Tune in next time. And that's the conclusion of our program. Brought to you by the fine folks at... Oh, not you again. No! Hey, yo, who let her back in? <laughs> and that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed whatever it is you just heard, heartwarming interviews, tear-jerking stories, magnificent music, and the sound of our voices. Because God knows that this is the best content on the airwaves. Don't forget to follow YOLO on all their social medias at YOLO Kavi. And you can find all our audio content on SoundCloud, MixCloud, and Apple Podcasts. We bougie like that. Period. Well, that's it. Bye. See you next Saturday from 12 to 2 p.m. for another episode of What's Up?